This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Halftime Show Podcast. Oh, he loves the fire then. What a goal! This is the Halftime Show with Umar Adouri on Pulse 95. Nice strike! Salam and welcome to the Halftime Show with Omar Duri. I'm your host covering everything sport, international, local. Hope you're having a blessed day wherever you are tuned in around the world. Whether it's Pulse95Radio.com, 95FM or our app Sharjah Broadcasting Authority. Thank you for tuning in and boy do we have a great show in store for you today. International boxing coach David Caldwell is on the Halftime Show today folks. Yes, you heard that right. A round of applause and he's coming up next. He's coached one of the best fighters in the world, been in the game for a long time and continues to shed light on up-and-coming fighters. We're also talking about his childhood, how the art of boxing shaped his career and how he's making a difference to the new generation. Can't wait for you to see this on the only place to be at three, the Halftime Show on Pulse95. Pulse95. Oh, he loves the fire then! What a goal! This is the Halftime Show with Omar Adori on Pulse95. Nice strike! It sure is that time. Sam, and welcome to the Halftime Show with Omar Duri. I'm your host, covering everything sport, international and local. Now, I'm really excited to pick this person's brain because for those that know and tune in normally on the Halftime Show, I'm a boxing fan. So I'm gassed to have this guy on. David Caldwell has boxed, uh, coached and managed professionally. He's worked with boxers Anthony Fowler, Jordan Gill, Derek Jasora, Ryan Rhodes, Tony Bellew and David Hay, just to name a few. But who am I to name drop? A sports analyst who dissects fights to implement strategies in boxing. There's levels to this game, folks. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Hey, listen, David. Now, I want to... We, we, we drove here together, mm. right? So I'm going to say this to everyone. And I had to restrict myself from speaking to this guy because I wanted to pick his brain <laughs> in the car ride over here. Um, David, now let's talk about uh, your childhood. Now, let's go back to young David Colwell. You grew up to uh, an English father and an Indian mother. Yes. What was that like growing up, and especially in a place like UK? Yeah, um, back then, I mean, I'm, I'm 44 years old. So, um, Which people, when we walked in here, did not believe that today, <laughs> by the way. I use good moisturizer. <laughs> what was that like growing up? So back then, um, England was a very different place to where it is now. Mm-hmm. Sheffield and Ecclesfield, where I'm from, um, a suburb of, of Sheffield, um, was very different. Um, when I went into secondary school, there were 1,500 kids. And there was, I think, three of us that weren't white. Mm-hmm. So it was it was difficult. Um, I I had a, a, a bad time as a kid. I used to get bullied and picked on for being the smallest, right. for being a kid. That had, you know, we had dinner tickets because my dad didn't have a job at that stage, and um, and also for being black. A packet. I got called everything. You yeah. know what I mean, um, it, it used to get packet go home. You used to get everything. Yeah. It used to be a stage where you'd be scared of walking down the street because kids uh, you knew certain houses. And yeah. They were playing on the yard, shouting to come out at you. Um, so it was, it was tough. It was rough. Um, yeah. Having a, an English father and, and a, an Indian mum, I was quite proud of, of the English side of me with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, I, I, that used to be my status as well. I, I belong here because my dad's English. Right. Well, well, I mean, you left home at 15. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about that period in your life. So my my parents were alcoholics. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my mum never admitted to being alcoholic, right. uh, but my dad straight he 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 got done. He was. I remember the first part where I knew that he was. Um, he had a drinking problem, but I didn't know to what extent it, that meant. Mm-hmm. Was he got done for drink? He crashed a car, drink driving while he was working out in Argentina. Okay. Um, now I I, that, I was young then. I was mm-hmm. young, but um, yeah, me and my mum didn't get on. It was a bad bad vibe. Um, she would get very very violent when when she was drunk and it got to a point at 15 that um i i had to leave home and and it was because there was a certain you know, something happened where i just thought one or the other is going to get you know get killed yeah so i made the decision to leave home at 15 years old and uh it's the best thing I ever did wow and and where does boxing play a role in in this childhood oh wow um boxing is is something that without boxing I wouldn't I wouldn't be the man that I am I wouldn't be able to speak I was so shy I was so intimidated by absolutely everybody and anything mm-hmm. um, that I wouldn't have been able to um, I can't envisage myself the kid that I was even being able to talk to customers in a shop if I worked in a shop right you know I, I had that low self-esteem I remember the first ever interview I did was because the the media came in the local television came in for for Prince Nassim and I was a kid that was training in the gym because I used to train in the same gym as, as now. Right. So I was in the gym. They asked me to do a, a, a speak a few words. And I remember being sat on the side of the ring the first time that I was being interviewed. I just started pouring with sweat. Really? And you know when you know that you're sweating <laughs> and you know that, you get, you, that you're yeah. embarrassed and you're hot under collar. And that's the kind of person I was. I mean, and it, it didn't even have to be a, a camera in front of you. Right. You as a stranger come up to try and talk to me. I'd be so shy. I'd, I'd, I was very intimidated. Right. Um, boxing has changed that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me a lot more confident. Um, it made me uh, feel sociably acceptable. Right. And um, it, it, it gave me confidence to, to not be terrified when you're walking down the street. Absolutely. So, so it, it shaped my life. And for all... The, the people that want to pull boxing down and the negative stories that you hear about boxing there are so many more countless stories like mine and and even better mm-hmm. where it's it changed somebody's life it saves, saves somebody's life see that's, that's so interesting now, now having been through what you have been personally so far and what you've said on the show how has that affected you as a parent because then obviously you develop obviously your own traits and yeah. when you're in a sport like, like yourself and you're successful there people assume the kids are going to follow suit <laughs> <laughs> So in terms of how you are as a parent and with your legacy, is that something that you encourage your kids to do or what's your approach on that? Okay, so how it's affected me as a parent is that I am, I will never say that I'm a good coach. Mm -hmm. I will never say I'm good at at anything. (laughs) I would never do that. But what I will say is I'm a very good dad. I'm very proud of being the dad that I am. Right. But I learned how to be a dad through what I didn't have. As a, as a child and, Absolutely. and what I experienced I knew that that's not I don't want my kids to feel how I felt mm-hmm. and I don't understand people that where they use the way that they treat their kids badly they use their experiences and say well that's how I was fit and that because you know how that felt right so it shaped me as a parent because I'm, I'm a good parent I, I, I tell my kids that I love them the kids mm-hmm. know that I love them but I show them I spend my time with my kids but at the same time when you want to go on the sports side of things is I don't want my son to box right because it, I know how hard it's it is very interesting yeah, yeah. I, I know how hard it is and it's not because oh, I don't like the sport I love the sport but 
it's not even just i mean i can't imagine seeing and, and fathers and sons that work together and things like that all fair play to you yeah that's your personal choice but for me i can't imagine anything worse than seeing my son or my daughter thank god my daughter's never gonna box she's 15 years old right um <laughs> and she's past that stage um but can't imagine seeing my little boy getting punched in the face yeah don't want to see it yeah don't want to see it never mind for real in in, in an arena and with everybody watching no um he's a footballer all i want him to do is to be is pick something that he loves mm-hmm. whatever they're passionate about i want to i want them to have passion about something my daughter's passionate about music so i want to help her whatever way i can to open as many doors as i can to help her pursue her dreams in music mm-hmm. likewise with my son my son wants to be a footballer right now He's eight years old. He may change his mind. He may come to me in a year's time and say, Dad, I don't want to play football no more. I want to do this. Right, okay. That's what you want to do. There you go. You understand what you're giving up because you've got potential? Yeah, I don't want to do it. Right, okay. Whatever they want to do, I will support 100% because I never had that as a parent. Right. As a a child. Yeah. You know, my parents didn't back me on it. They didn't want me to box. My mum... Ne- you know even when i turned professional they never came to see me nothing you know that no- nobody was nobody in my family was bothered about what i did apart from my grandma yeah um so i want to make sure that i'm there for my kids whatever they choose to do and support them and and try and open doors because as a parent it's your job to open doors people yes. can say oh he's only done this because he's done eddie earns perfect example a lot of people like to slay eddie Earn. oh he's only he's only doing what he's doing because his dad did this his dad well, his dad opened doors, but he had to walk through the doors. And that's what I say to my kids. I will do my best to open the doors for you, mm-hmm. but you have to walk through it. That means that I can give you an opportunity, but you've got to be good enough and dedicated enough to walk through it and take that opportunity and prove to the people that I'm saying, can you give them uh, a look? You've got to be good enough to, to, for them to take you on. That's Absolutely. out of my hands. Absolutely. Guys, coming up next, we talk to David about his transition from boxer to coach, his coaching style and mental health and sport on the only place to be at three, the Halftime Show on Pulse 95. You're You're listening listening to to Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Oh, he loves the fire and what a goal! This is the Halftime Show with Omar Adori on Pulse 95. Nice strike! Welcome back to the Halftime Show. Now, if you're just tuning in and want to catch up on any of our shows, don't worry. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Just type in the Halftime Show with Omar Dury and we are there. Got some amazing guests, as you can tell already today, if you're tuned in, covering some incredible topics such as gut health, how the brain affects performance and mental health. And on the show today, I'm delighted to welcome David Caldwell on the show. Man, thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate you. It's a pleasure being here, man. Um, Now, David, we spoke about your childhood in in segment one and and what role boxing had for you growing up. Talk to me about the transition from from boxer to coach. What was that like? So it was kind of like a natural progression. Mm -hmm. Uh, While I was still fighting... I was running my coach's second gym, Brendan Ingle, the, the late great Brendan Ingle, his second gym. And um, so I was training kids, kids from six years old upwards. Yeah. And then I got into a bit of a management dispute with his, with his son. Um, I, they wouldn't release me of my contracts. And in the three years, because I just signed the three years, in the three years that I sat my contract out, I had opened my, my own gym up and the kids that I'd got were showing potential. Mm-hmm. So when it came to um, my contract was up, I had a couple of weeks within a trainer, you know, did a little bit of work. I thought, you know, I'm 28. I'm thinking, 
do I make a push to come back myself or have these kids that I'm working with got more potential than me and um, I thought they've got more potential so um, so yeah so I ended up just going into there I was I, I had my own amateur gym started off just doing amateurs then a kid was good enough to turn professional so I, I, I turned professional as a coach and it just snowballed from there really nice and and one of the things we speak about and you spoke about this in segment one about confidence and what it does for you you know what boxing did for you now mental health is something we talk about a lot on the show um and with your coaching and what you've been through has shaped you as a person and a coach where do you stand on you know raising awareness on mental health in in the current it's such a big thing Mm -hmm. do you know what it's all it's obviously it's always been there right there's always been issues you know since since man there must have been always been issues it's yes. just that now it's become more public aware mm-hmm. and and people are knowing more about it we are seeing people that are in the public eye that are suffering with, with mental health issues you know in boxing you look at tyson fury yeah but you look at people like that and you look at the depths that he went to from yeah to coming back to to, to the top yes you know reclaiming his life so to speak but then also, I mean, this week we've had some uh, horrendous news back in the new year, at new UK of, of Caroline Flack. Yes, you yeah. know, it, it, there's people in the public eye now, and because it's people in the public eye, it's not that they're any more important mm-hmm. than everybody else, but it's just that the awareness becomes more widespread because they are in the public eye. So yeah. then it becomes where you look on your Instagram and everybody's posting about it. You look on your Twitter and everybody's talking about it. But it's it's such a big thing and. The, the stresses and strains of everyday life take the toll yeah you know it's it is it's a hard life yeah but you have to be able to be mentally equipped to, to handle it i i've got a thing about schools schools are very big on on still teaching old-fashioned subjects things that you don't use or, or the general population don't use once you leave school you know majority of things that i learned at school i don't use in my day-to-day life but what they don't use what they don't teach in school is how to live and is if they don't teach about um, about how to handle money, about about lifestyle, about health, yeah, uh, they don't they don't teach kids about anything from a young age. Now yeah. I'm trying to do that with my kids. You have to be open with kids. Yeah, you, you can't shield them and protect them and, and think that they're in this bubble that nothing's going to affect them. Yeah, living in you know Disney doesn't exist. You know it's a hard world out right. there. There's, there's 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 a lot of kids turn on the news see stabbings they're seeing this they're seeing that it's, it's always bad news on tv yeah now some people and some children that'll affect and it puts them in a shell it makes them anxious makes them you know makes them puts fear into them yeah unless you've got something that's talking talking way through it my little boy will see something and he'll, and he'll say have you heard about them getting something and i talk him through it yeah so then right okay he registers it because he's heard it once you've heard something you can't mask it and pretend it's not there. Correct. You have to be able to analyze it and you have to be able to rationalize it. Absolutely. Just because it's ha- that's happened there doesn't mean that's going to happen to you when you walk outside. A lot of people don't have that. And a lot of people then can have this build up, this fear, not just on, on, on stabbing and things like that. I'm talking about life. I'm talking about the stresses and strains of losing a job, finances, things like that. But this is what I'm saying. School needs to be able to, schools should start teaching kids about well-being mental health about finances looking after your money so then because a lot of mental health issues are caused by stresses of of finances yeah because people are stressing about the job people are stressing because they haven't got enough money there's food banks on the up and everything things like that that again is adding into a pot 100% so I think we need to start from now from the from the youth for the next generation because there's you know you can tweet you know be kind and stuff like that 
but but that needs to come from education people's attitudes need to change yeah absolutely and you know one thing i really like about what you said in terms of life's lessons is you always you always end up separating the two between street smart and then school smart yeah and then having that integration where you start to teach them at a young age about those things you mentioned, which is so important and so key for the next generation to yeah. not suffer from what has been around for years, yeah. but now using things like social media and those people in the public eye yeah. in the positive side. I really, really like what you said about that. Um, coming up next, guys, we talk about fighters who you might have heard of and hopefully what it's like coaching them from the man himself, David Coldwell. Stay tuned for more on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. Oh, he loves the fire and what a goal! This is the Halftime Show with Umar Adouri on Pulse95. Nice strike! Oh, better than nice! It sure is that time. Welcome back to the Halftime Show. Delighted to have David Colbert on the show. Now, if you are just tuning in, where the hell have you been? Because it's been a wicked show uh, on the Halftime Show. And I have to give a couple of special shout outs to Michelle, Maria, uh, Fatima, uh, Ala, Murad, Hamad El Blushi. God, the list goes on, guys. And everyone who's tuning in at Omar Duri on the Instagram Live or even at David Caldwell. Thank you so much, guys, from everyone here at Pulse95. Remember, this show would be nothing without you guys. And speaking of that, now, David, you have coached and worked with some great fighters. Each of them have their own story and journey, which coaches normally play quite a significant role in. I'm going to throw in a couple your way because I know i got too much to talk to you about and we've only got an hour. So (laughs) Spice Boy Ryan Rhodes. Yeah. Really cool story I liked about that. Um, many considered him finished at the time. He had ambitions to win a British title, but you took it one step further, eventually getting him to fight Canelo Alvarez. Talk to me quickly about that, that experience. That was wicked. That was a real good time because, yeah. um, obviously, I mean, you were talking about a long time ago now. Yes. Um, like you said, everyone thought he was finished. He was boxing on little undercard uh, fights on, on Hennessy shows. Mm-hmm. People literally in Sheffield, his hometown, thought that, people, that he'd retired. Yeah. And then when he came to me, because I wasn't really established at that point, again, then people just thought, oh, it's just, it's just finished now. He's just looking for a cash out. Yeah. Um, we had some ups and downs. You know, we had his first, we had a little run. I think he had won six fights. I got him, I got him a deal with Frank Warren, won six fights, and he fought Gary Lockett for a WBO world title. Mm-hmm. Lost on point. But I promised him there in the ring that I'd get him another shot. And I said, trust me, I said, you'll, you'll, you'll get there. You know, he won a British title. He won. A, he ended up winning a European title and a big match uh, with Jamie Moore. Big, back home. massive, massive match. That was. Massive match yeah. And and then you know the the, the ultimate. He, he, we went to Mexico to Guadalajara, in Mexico, to fight Canelo Alvarez for the WBC World Title. He lost. He lost in the last round. Right. Um, Which is not. That's, yeah, that's not. That's not light. You know. No, no. Do you know what? It could have. It could have gone uh, and, and and been comfortable to lose on on points but mm. in the last round uh, at the end of that round I said to him listen I said we're never going to be here again yeah. so go out give it everything you got if you get if you get done you get done it's yeah. like, you know go out you're never going to be here again and he did he went out and he tried yeah. and, and he got caught with a good body shot and then Canelo finished him um, and stopped him in I think it was a minute left or something like that what was Canelo like? Very. do you know what would not believe the size difference from weighing Fight yes. Oh my God. Tell me. That's. I was going to ask wow. you. Wow. Tell that's, me. I've so, heard so many things about so that. So you see him at the at the weigh-in. Yeah. And you look at me, and think. This is when he was one fifty-four. Right. So you look at me, and think. You know what? 
that much bigger than Ryan. Right. So fight night comes. We're in the ring. Mm -hmm. Canelo's walking through the crowds. Unbelievable. Now this is Guadalajara. Right. So we'll, we'll, the crowd's nuts. He comes into the ring. He walks in. He's got this. He's got this um, dressing gown, green dressing gown. Looks like he's got shoulder pads in. Mm. Right. So he's, he's in there. He's in the ring. Yeah. He takes the gown off. Yeah. He ain't got shoulder pads in. He's just he's, he's just, just big. big. Right. Right. So usually when when you see someone that's got a big upper body. And you know your fighter's looking at me thinking, whoa. Yeah. You look at his legs and his legs are quite skinny. Right. So I looked at Canelo's legs. I thought, oh my God, his legs are massive. I thought, what do you say here? <laughs> so he was huge. He had calves like, they were massive. He was yeah. huge for the weight. I couldn't believe the difference. And he was very good. He was always just that one step. It's the subtle things. I always say, I like to, you can watch fighters all you want on YouTube and on TV. Mm. Watch them all you want. Even live when you're in an arena, watch yeah. them all you want. When you are in the opposite corner and you are that focused on them, you notice the subtle things that they do. You know the little, you know the little twitches they'll, they'll, they'll yeah. do, the little feints they'll do, and the timing. You notice things so much better. Right. And he was, he was special. I knew then he was special. You know, I've been lucky to be, uh, you know, I've been in the opposite corner. Some great fighters: Terence Crawford, Canelo, Usyk, um, Inoue. Um, you know, some some great fighters. Yeah, you know, see, that's amazing, and, and um, it's nice to get that ringside kind mm. of uh, feedback. And then in 2013. Following Tony Bellew's loss to Adonis Stevenson, uh, you got approached by Bellew. What yeah. was Tony Bellew like to work with? Brilliant, brilliant. We was we ended up being very very close. We was friends before that. Yeah. Um. We he actually came down as an amateur, sparred at my gym with one of my pros, and I looked at him and I thought, wow, he's he's a TV fighter. Yeah. I was like, why why aren't you turning pro? He says, I am. He says, I'm, I'm signing with somebody else. Right. I said, have you signed yet? He went, no. I said, well, wait. And at that point, I was working with Frank Warren. I saw. Right. I picked up the phone. I said to him, I said, I'll get you an appointment with, with, with Warren's office. He went, no, I said, I've tried. I said, I've tried three times. He said, I've cancelled on me every time. I said, I'll get you in. Picked up the phone. And on the following Monday, myself, him and his dad, we drove down to Frank Warren's office. Yeah. And he ended up get, getting a deal with Warren. Um, but then fast forward years, in two... I think it might be in 2013 maybe uh -huh. I actually promoted him I won a purse bid for one of his fights right Again, okay. I, wasn't, I wasn't trading anything <laughs> me and Eddie lost an absolute packet on that show it was a yeah, nightmare yeah. Um, that was one of his British title defences and then after a Stevenson um, well actually I'd helped tighten the corners for a couple of fights before Stevenson okay um, and then I went to Canada with him for Stevenson just to help his coach out I didn't wouldn't say anything about him yeah. and then after the Stevenson fight he rang me and said can you come up for a chat and um, asked me to coach him and the relationship was fantastic he, he, do you know what it was so funny because obviously I'm down here he's up there right. um, and there were times when I'd have to give him a telling off of course and, yeah but he listens he's such a disciplined student nice he's the, he's the hardest work you could ever ever meet he will tell you he's not the most naturally gifted yeah he says that a lot but, but he's the hardest worker and you know what he's the most loyal person you'd ever meet he's fiercely loyal I, I like to hear that you know yeah. things gel and, and, and his career like yeah. takes a turning obviously from then and then the iconic match is set between yeah. David Hay and Tony Bell you yeah. won right yeah. the fight was set for 4th of March 2017 at the O2 Arena um, there's a real rocky feel to this story, yeah. you know, with Bellu, and especially from what you've said, and ov obviously a lot of research I've done. Um, what what was that like? Oh, it was unbelievable because David A made it so personal. You know, he, he, yeah. threw, he threw a punch at, uh, at Tony. He, 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 the stuff that he was saying, he was mocking him, mocking myself. Mm -hmm. um, it was it was vile. And yeah. Obviously, all the he was a massive name that the whole country was was talking about it. You'd walk down the street, people talking about it. 
and um, to on the night itself, it was just. Do you know what? Because I'd worked with Hay, we had him booth, and I knew yes. him in the gyms. I knew I knew what it was like. I was very confident that he was going to win. Really? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? When when I was in the ring for the introduction, it's the most relaxed I've ever been. I don't. I'm not usually. Like, I was like laid on the ropes, yeah. back on the ropes, just watching Hay walk into the ring, and I was so relaxed. I just knew that Tony was going to win. I know Tony Value so well. I know what he's capable of, and I know what his mindset is, mm. and, and I knew he was going to beat him. Obviously, I didn't know that the, he was going to get win on on an injury in that fight. Yeah. But the the injury actually spoiled what our game plan was. Right. You know, okay. The fight was 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 unraveling as I wanted it to, but when when Hay got injured. Bellew's mindset just went because it's very hard that's the one thing you can't prepare yeah, for yeah. and once he saw that he was injured he then started loading up and swinging everything and loading everything and, and, and gassing himself yeah. and and he lost all his shape and everything and he made it harder than what it would have been and right. harder than what it was which is why in the rematch because he understood what happened there I knew that he was going to stick to the plan and I knew that he was going to stick to what he does and I knew the rematch would be easier Amazing, guys. And it was. Yeah, and you know what? And I'm actually going to ask about the game plan straight after the break. And I'm going to ask you about Jordan Gill, Anthony Fowler, Derek Azora, Curtis Woodhouse. Like I said, that I wish we had more time with this guy, man. It's definitely, definitely an honor to have him on the show. So stay tuned for more on The Only Place to Be at 3, the halftime show on Pulse95. You're, You're listening, listening to Pulse95. 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 Oh, he loves the fire. This is the Halftime Show with Omar Adori on Pulse95. Nice strike! Oh, better than nice! It's time! It sure is that time and I can't believe it's almost full time on the Halftime Show. What a show it's been and if you've been lucky enough to be uh, with us on the Instagram Live at Omar Adori, we've got a lot more content then you are getting on the waves, but we are very, very uh, honoured and lucky to have David Caldwell on the show today. We're talking we're talking all sorts of stuff. We spoke about his childhood. We spoke about mental health. We spoke about education. We spoke about Tony Bellew. We spoke about Ryan Rose. <laughs> we got through quite a bit today. And you know what? I, I didn't even feel we're on the fourth segment already. David, thank you very much for coming on the show. Been good, man. Been good. Um, now, we, I mean, I, I'm, I'm lucky because I'm picking your brain even when we're off air. But there's a couple of fighters, uh, you know, mentioned often as a future superstar, Jordan Gill, Anthony Fowler. In your eyes, you said a future world champion, uh, Curtis Woodhouse, former footballer. And I know you have a passion for football. Um, just tell me, what's the integration like from obviously having played, he was playing football and then you obviously shaping him into a boxer. Is this similarities? Is there things that you pick together? No, or? it's just when Curtis walks from a door, I mean, this is we're going back. This is in the same sort of era as, as Ryan and Kel. They all trained together. There's Ryan, yeah. Bruce, Kel Brook and Curtis all trained together. Um, he came along and we thought he was nuts giving up professional football to be a, to, to be a boxer. Yeah. You know, but... Um, he showed that, that although he had no natural talent, no natural ability, mm-hmm. he was the hardest worker in the room. And if you're the hardest worker in the room, you can achieve your dreams. And that's what he ended up doing. You know, he became, he, he went from football. Everybody, caught, everybody saw him as a joke when he was when he was starting off. Yeah. He had some bumps in the roads. He had some losses. You know, a few losses. But he kept going, kept going, and, and he ended up being British champion. Yeah. Which was a, an unbelievable achievement. Absolutely. It really was. Yeah. Absolutely, that's, that's that's really interesting. Derek Chisora, yeah, 
controversial character. Yeah, yeah, Derek, Derek <laughs> do you know what? But, but no, for me, yeah. it was such a pleasure to work with. Really? Yeah, it really was. I mean, okay. we're, we're still friends. Yeah. The only reason that we don't work together is because he needed me to train him in London. Right. And and I can't. I'm from up, no, up north, you know, I've got my family. Yeah. I've got Jordan Gill, I've got Hopi Price in the gym. Yeah. And and I can't I can't leave them to go down to London. So yeah. that's that's why we, we split, but we still speak now. Yeah. We'll, we'll speak on the phone. Um, Jordan Gill's a phenomenal talent. He is, a, he is an outstanding talent. You know, he had a bad year last year. Right. Um, he made the wrong decisions where mm-hmm. where he thought he chose to fight and not tell me when he was ill. Mm-hmm. Um, he got beat. Once you, I always say, once you, once you make that choice to get in that ring, that's it. Yes. You know, you can't you can't sulk about about the choices you made. Yeah. You know, he chose to fight. He was ill. He got beat. I was absolutely devastated. You know, heartbroken for him. And it, and then. The worst thing is, is, he came out with a fight. We thought we were going to get going. He come down with a, a, a thyroid condition, and it was a serious illness. We we thought that he was never going to box again. There was wow. points where I thought he was going to box again, but thank God, things have leveled out, and um, he's back now. Uh, he started. He literally started sparring this morning. It's his first spar for months. Amazing. You know, so he's back now. He's he's, he's on the road. He's going to fight March twenty eighth. Okay. Um, on on Sky Sports and uh, on a match from show. Yeah. Uh, and I've also you know Hopi Price. Hopi Price, a phenomenal talent. Nineteen years old. Um, junior Olympic champion. Yeah. World Championship silver where he got ripped off in the final. Right. Um, he's a he's a great great fighter. Great great talent. And he's him and Jordan are just sponges. The the kids that you can just be around the great role models which is why i have my kid around them yes you know they are great role models um and they're very focused they're very intelligent and they're very talented amazing man you know what we are reaching full time on the halftime show guys remember you can catch us on apple Podcasts on soundcloud if you've come in late on the show before i let david go how can um our halftimers and our listeners follow you on social media or Okay, so Instagram and uh, Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's just simple. It's at David Coldwell. That's it. Awesome. And anything uh, to look forward to in the next couple of months, apart from the Fury Wilder fight? Yeah, I didn't even get a that. chance to ask you. know you. what? I can't <laughs> wait for that. That's that's just going to be, you know. What's your prediction? I know we, we have I, to I, wrap this up. Do you know what? Up, I gen- Tyson Fury can be outboxing him for uh, every second of every round, but if he gets nailed clean, yeah. he's going to get done. I just don't know about this change. This change of trainer. Change of trainer. Know, ben yeah. Davis is a very good coach. Yeah. Knows his style inside out. I don't know what changes have made it. When you don't see him in camp, it's very mm-hmm. very hard to judge. Right. So, uh, what are we predicting? I'm putting you on the spot. Oh here. my gosh. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I I, I keep changing my mind. Yeah. One minute I'm saying Fury. Mm-hmm. Next minute I'm saying Wilder. I think because the changes, I think the advantage is with Wilder. Interesting. Well, there you go, guys. You heard it from a specialist himself. And guys, we are reaching full-time on the Halftime Show. It's been an amazing show. Remember, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Um, Text us your questions. Let us know what's happening because it's been a great show on the Halftime Show. Sending you all the love and energy from the Pulse95 team, the Halftime Show. David, thank you so much for being on. Cheers, man. Thank you very much. Peace. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every Monday, Wednesday and Saturday from 3pm.